Almighty God, everlasting Father, who has awakened us to the light of another day, dispel, we beseech thee, every cloud from our minds and lift our hearts' very burden of care, that with joyful spirit we may seek thy face through Jesus Christ, thy Son. Amen. Today's Psalter reading is Psalms chapter 104, verses 24 through 34 and 35b. O Lord, how manifold we are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, which teems with things innumerable, living things, both small and great. There goes the ships. And Lephiathan, which thou didst form to sport in. These all look to thee to give them their food in due season. When thou givest to them, thy gather it up. When thou openest thy hand, and thy, they are filled with good things. When thou hidest thy faith, face, and they are dismayed. When thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When their when thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 21. The story of Pentecost. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. 
Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Several years ago, a pastor of a congregation tried to infuse some energy, some new life, into her church's annual celebration of this day of Pentecost. On that particular Sunday, the Reverend Tom Long happened to be in attendance in that church with his two young children. As children of a seminary professor, they knew the routine, they knew the drill, which is why by the time the pastor got to the scripture reading, both kids were long past the point where boredom, parents will notice that point, where boredom morphs into disruption. They had worn down their crayons, eaten all their goldfish. It was DEFCON 4. So when the pastor began to read from the Bible, both children sighed a little bit too loudly and sunk deeper into their pew. What they didn't know, however, was that this Sunday was going to be like no other. When the pastor got to the part of the story where the wind was blowing in and amongst the people, a member of the choir turned on a tape recorder, remember those? At top volume, with a sound of a rushing wind. At this strange turn of events, the kids sat up a bit in their pews. When the pastor read the part of the story about tongues of fire landing on people's heads, people throughout the congregation pulled out red pom-poms and began to wave them over their heads. The kids were now on their knees. They were paying attention. When the pastor got to the part of the story when people spoke in other languages, members of the church who were fluent in other languages stood up and began to speak, to say things in their own native tongue. At this point, the children were literally standing in the pew. And when the pastor finished reading the passage, the choir led the congregation in the singing of a rousing hymn, following the hymn as everyone began to settle for the sermon. Suddenly from a balcony, a lone man stood up and laughed out loudly and said, you fools must be drunk. Tom's kids, far from being bored, were completely engaged. As they left the service, Reverend Long's eight-year-old son turned to his father and said, now dad, that... That was church. Disruption. There is so much disruption in our nation right now. Our worship is disrupted by social distancing guidelines. Our politics are disrupted by heightened partisanship. And our society is disrupted yet again by the persistent evil of racism. 
And the disruption, all the disruption hasn't stopped there. In our own personal lives, routines have been altered, relationships strained, and our mental health, our mental well-being stretched to its very limits. There is so much disruption right now in the world, in our nation, and in our personal lives. And our temptation is to resist it, to, to ignore it, or try in some way to mitigate its impact. But I wonder if on this Pentecost Sunday, instead of pushing back against all the disruption, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we leaned into it. Today we remember and celebrate the first Pentecost when Jews from across the known world gathered for an annual festival in Jerusalem to offer thanksgiving for the first fruits of the harvest a familiar festival for them that likely had a very different feel that year in Jerusalem. You think our lives right now are disrupted and chaotic. Just imagine what the Jews were dealing with as they gathered that day. Jesus, who many thought was the one to redeem Israel, had been executed, betrayed by his followers, mocked by the crowds, and crucified by Rome. And then this crazy rumor was going around that he wasn't really dead, he was alive now, a rumor that infuriated Rome and divided the Jewish people. And now people are saying that Jesus ascended to heaven on a cloud, which caused even more confusion. There was disruption everywhere, from every corner in Jerusalem that day. And it's into that chaotic and confusing and conflicted time that the Spirit of God chose to come to birth the church, Christ's living body here on earth. This week, as you know, the city of Minneapolis has had its share of disruption following the death of George Floyd. In the days that have followed his death, the disruption has expressed itself first peaceful than in violent protest, protest that has spilled over into cities around the nation, including here in Richmond. But even on the Minneapolis streets, amidst all the anger and confusion and pain, there are still signs of hope. One particular family I read about this week has leaned into the disruption in a very unique and powerful way witnessing in their actions both to the pain, because there is pain, but also the possibility represented in the fires that burn around that city. On Friday morning, as dawn broke through the smoke hanging over Minneapolis, it became clear that the Gandhi Mahal restaurant had been severely damaged by fire. Hafsa Islam, whose father owns the Bangladeshi Indian restaurant, woke at 6 a.m. to hear the news about the restaurant at first, I was angry, said the 18-year-old Miss Islam. This is my family's only source of income. But then she overheard her father, Ruel, speaking to a friend on the phone. Let my building burn, he said. Justice needs to be served. On Friday afternoon, after the fire stopped smoldering and the family came together to see the damage that had been caused, Mr. Islam repeated his support for the protest that had closed his restaurant. We can rebuild a building, he said, but we cannot rebuild a human. The community is still here, 
and we can work together to rebuild. The Gandhi Mahal restaurant opened in 2008 during the Great Recession. Although Mr. Islam passionately believes in nonviolent protest, he named his restaurant in honor of Gandhi. He deeply empathizes with the frustration of many Minneapolis residents. He says, I am going to continuously promote peaceful ways and nonviolent movement, he said. But our young generation is angry, and there's reason to be angry. It's a difficult lesson to internalize, but a life of faith is a life full of disruption. We want, we desperately want our faith to stabilize things, to normalize things, to insulate us from the world, but the same faith that comforts us in our sorrows also challenges us to lean into the struggle and pain and anger of this world. It took me nearly 40 years to accept it, but a mature faith is one where we learn in some way to be at peace with the chaos, with the absurd, with the unexpected. Our longing for stability blinds us to its presence, but the foundational stories of our scriptures, both old and new, all reveal a faith, a life of faith defined by this three-part cycle, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. This has always been the path the people of God have walked, have journeyed. We settle into a new reality, a new peace, a new status quo, and in time, something disturbs it, upends it. And into this disruption, every single time, God does something wonderful and new, something that brings all of us closer to the kingdom of God here on earth. Over and over again, this has been the pattern for God's people. Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Now, a little theological moment. Much debate has raged over the centuries as to whether God is the cause of all the disruptions that complicate our lives. Some profess that it is God who causes the earth to quake, the virus to mutate, and the storm to rage. God causes disruptions, some argue, to teach us a lesson or to get us on the right path. Everything, even tragic things, happen for a reason. But I don't believe that to be the case. I don't see how this understanding of disruption fits with the God of love revealed in Jesus Christ, the God who comes to us to be with us and to love us. It's my belief that disruption is not caused by God. Disruption is caused by life. Everything that is born dies. Everything that is new eventually gets old. Everything that was fresh gets stale. And every injustice will eventually come to light. No, God does not cause the disruptions that overturn our lives, but the Spirit of God, thankfully, does enter into them, using them to reorient us to a new way of being God's people. Soren Kierkegaard, the great existentialist of the 19th century, loved to tell the story, you may know it, about the duck preacher and the duck church. Every Sunday, all the ducks would waddle into church, quacking and flopping their ways to the pews, their personal pew, 
They'd sit down and sing duck songs, quack out a few hymns, until the duck preacher stood up to give the sermon. The duck preacher every week would tell the ducks they didn't have to walk and waddle everywhere. With all the energy he could muster, the duck preacher would try to convince those ducks that they could fly. All you have to do is flap those wings, he'd tell them. With wings, you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings, and you can fly. The ducks, they loved that sermon. He told it to them every single week. And as they listened, they could almost see it in their ducks' imaginations. <laughs> when the sermon was over, they'd shout, Amen! Sing one last duck hymn and then waddle out the door all the way home. On that Pentecost long ago, the Spirit entered into a community fractured by rumors and murder and conflict and inequality and injustice, a community whose future was uncertain, whose institutions were destabilized, and whose people were at odds with one another. On Pentecost, the Spirit entered into life, life as we know it, in times like these that we find ourselves in, our temptation is to do whatever we can to calm the waters, quiet the shouts, douse the flames, and return to what is known, what is safe, what is familiar. And I understand that temptation. This week has been a difficult one to process, to make sense of. First, the pandemic and all its disruptions, and now this, a reminder that the far greater evil of racism has yet to be vanquished. This week has been a difficult one to make sense of, to process, to live through. And I can understand our desire to avoid all the discomfort caused by all the chaos. But that is not our task. That is not why the Spirit came as divided tongues of fire and rested on each of us, giving us the ability to speak and hear languages that are not our own. We are Pentecost people. We are people of the Spirit, a Spirit that enlivens and emboldens and empowers. We are a people equipped to be and share the good news to a world broken and in pain. So if, what if instead of trying to mitigate or manage all the disruption, what if we leaned into it a bit, looking for the Spirit's movement in and amongst the very people who are angered by injustice, saddened by disparities, and struggling to make ends meet. What if we leaned into the disruption and trusted that it is in times such as these, when God pours out the Spirit upon all flesh, encouraging young men and women to prophecy and old men and women to dream? What if it is precisely in times like these when God is doing a new thing, an exciting thing, a thing that wakes us up from our slumber, gets us to stand in our pews, and even for a moment to flap our wings? What if it is in times like these that God empowers us in a new way to be the church, to witness to God's reconciling and redeeming love on the streets of our city, and to the ends of the earth. Amen.